All right, well, week two, here we are in our second week of our Advent Conspiracy series. We are trying to approach Christmas this year in a little bit of a different way, because for many of us, uh, we spend so much time and energy in the demands of this season that we actually miss Christmas, and this happens every year. We, we can become so consumed with the, the presents and the preparations that we miss the wonder of this season, an infant king who was born unto us. We've been thinking about these four ideas, right? Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all, because all too often it is the opposite. Instead of worshiping fully, I end up worshiping half-heartedly. Instead of spending less, I end up spending more. Instead of, uh, instead of giving more, I end up giving less. And instead of loving all, I struggle to even love some. And so if you've ever found yourself in the beginning of January with a massive credit card bill, you've probably recognized this problem. Now, I know I'm going to step on some toes here, but every year we put ourselves through this stressful exercise that we call Christmas shopping. Uh, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why? Why do we do that? Why do we invite so much stress into our lives every single Christmas season? If we step back for a minute... It's a little crazy that we make this annual decision to spend a ridiculous amount of money on Christmas presents, but I guess it's just what Americans do. Many of us spend money we don't have, we, we accrue credit card debt, we struggle to pay, and we attempt to prove our love for one another by buying expensive gifts. But then in the end, we end up holding that sweater from Aunt Mary that we're never going to wear. And we kind of wonder, is that really what Christmas is all about? I saw a humorous TV show that illustrated this well. And so I just want to show you a little clip from this show. It's called The Big Bang Theory. Uh, check this out. See if you can relate to this clip. Okay, well, thank you for that. But I got you and Leonard a few silly neighbor gifts, so I'll just put them under my tree. The wait. You bought me a present? Uh-huh. Why would you do such a thing? I don't know, because it's Christmas. Oh, Penny. I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift-giving is reciprocity. You haven't given me a gift. You've given me an obligation. Don't feel bad, Penny. It's a classic rookie mistake. My first Hanukkah with Sheldon, he yelled at me for eight nights. <laughs> to get me anything in return? Of course I do. The essence of the custom is that I now have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. Yeah. That's no wonder suicide rates skyrocket this time of year. Okay, you know what? Forget it. I'm not giving you a present. No, he's too late. I see it. That elf sticker says to Sheldon. <laughs> the, the die has been cast. The moving finger has writ. Hannibal has crossed the Alps. <laughs> I know it's funny when it's not happening to us. Sheldon, I am very, very sorry. You no, know, no, I brought this on myself by being such an endearing and important part of your life. I'm going to need a ride to the mall. It's happening to us. Okay, quick show of hands. How many of you have ever experienced that feeling before? Just be honest with us today, yeah all the stress that can come with gift giving. I know I've spent several Christmases kind of wandering around the Bridgewater Commons Mall in utter cluelessness and confusion, thinking about that person that's, that's really hard to buy a gift for. And I start in those moments feeling a little bit like the Grinch. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. <laughs> 
Now, before I go any further, let me assure you my intention this morning is not to be the Grinch who stole Christmas, and my intention is not to make any of us feel guilty. I realize Black Friday and Cyber Monday have come and gone, and many of us have already done a lot of our shopping. Although, let's be honest, when it comes to Black Friday, we mostly buy gifts for ourselves that day, right? Every, the whole world's on sale, and, uh, you know, how could I not buy that new electronic toilet paper dispenser that I've always wanted, right? So that's Black Friday. My intention today, though, is not to make any of us feel bad. My intention is to make us feel free. Not to feel bad, but to feel free. I just want to give us permission, just to give each one of us permission to live counterculturally. That's what the person I want to look at today in the scriptures and the original Christmas story learned to do. And so we're going to look at how he was able to do that, and then I want to give us a few principles about how we can live counterculturally in our day. But before we look at the word, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we bow our heads for a moment. We close our eyes. We ask that you would take away anything that would keep us from hearing from your word. Uh, take away anything from our heart that would block us from listening carefully for your voice today. I pray that you give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1, if you'd like. We're going to look at one character in our Christmas story who made a decision to be countercultural. His name was Joseph. As we think about the very first Christmas, uh, there was one guy who had every reason in the world to miss it, but somehow he didn't. Uh, his story picks up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, it, the text says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph was pledged to be married to a girl named Mary, and unlike engagements in our day and in our time, an engagement back then was basically a contractual agreement that could only be undone through death or through divorce. To be engaged in the first century was to be bound together just as if you were already married. But before any kind of wedding ceremony or reception or honeymoon took place, something unexpected happened. It says, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be easy for us to blow right past this statement before we move on, because the story is very familiar. But I want us to stop here and just put ourselves right here in this moment this was a major issue, a life-altering, deal-breaking kind of moment. Mary's pregnant. Joseph knows the child is not his. Uh, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Think about how you would have felt. Your fiancé is pregnant. You know there's no possible way this could be your baby. I'm sure that he was feeling emotionally crushed. I bet this news was also a serious hit to this man's pride. He might have felt embarrassed, inadequate, maybe even angry. I can imagine he was questioning everything about himself and wondering how he could have ended up in this situation. These personal feelings alone would have provided ample reason for Joseph to miss the first Christmas. And so the point is, Joseph had every right to walk away. And he actually decided to do just that. Take a look at the next verse. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And no one would have blamed him. In fact, everyone would have supported him. Imagine if this was you. Wouldn't you do the same if you were him? 
Uh, people are going to be able to do the math and know this child is not his. The whole world is being rocked for him right now. Your friends and family are saying, dump this girl, and you kind of agree with them. But there was another factor that would have weighed heavily on Joseph here, his culture. No one would have expected Joseph to stand by Mary. In fact, there would have been a lot of pressure for him to do just the opposite. According to the societal norms of that day, he was expected and obligated to leave her. If he didn't, he would lose his status and standing in his community. She had brought shame on him and his entire family. It might be hard for us to grasp the mindset of a first century Middle Eastern culture, but a man who refused to divorce an unfaithful woman would be seen as culpable for her infidelity. And so Joseph plans to part ways, but he wants to do this as quietly as possible. But then, as often occurs with our God, something amazing happens. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's pause again. Can you imagine explaining this to your friends and family? Yes, mom, she's pregnant. Yes, mom, I was going to leave her. But mom, I had a dream, and God said, go ahead and marry her anyway. Joe, honey, really? You're going to marry this girl who's pregnant not by you because you had a dream and an angel told you everything was going to be okay? Yes, mom. I can only imagine how Satan was working overtime here on Joseph. Joseph, Joseph made a decision here that, that was completely counter-cultural. His friends and family likely thought he was crazy. A fair share of them probably shamed him. Maybe they even condemned him. Rather than being revered, he was likely ridiculed. But understand this. Because he was willing to live counter-culturally, he didn't miss that first Christmas. He didn't just follow the cultural norms. Instead, he made this purposeful, intentional, self-sacrificial decision, a difficult choice. And as a result, a few months later, he was there on that first Christmas night. As a result, he didn't miss the wonder of God with us. And Jesus got an earthly father. And Joseph got a savior. The point is, Joseph chose to be countercultural. He chose obedience. However scared he must have been about what his mom would say or his friends would say, he took Mary as his wife. See, the call of God isn't always easy or comfortable, but it's always right. And just like Joseph, we can hear the call of God and choose to be countercultural as well. And so let me just make that really explicit for us. If we're going to not miss Christmas, we need to choose to live counterculturally. Today in America, we live in a culture of excessive consumerism and consumption. The Christmas season often reveals that in a shocking way. It's so easy to get sucked into marketing and shopping fervor, and before we know it, we've blown the budget on all the newest gotta-have-it and hot deals leading up to Christmas. But what if we said no to excess this season? What if we said, I'm going to make a commitment to spend less? What if we made an intentional decision to resist the pull of cultural consumerism. That would be incredibly countercultural for us. Probably a lot of our family and friends wouldn't understand. They might even criticize us for it. 
But in our hearts, don't we know that consumerism is not the Christ-following way to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Could opting out of the excesses of our cultural Christmas give us the chance to truly experience Christmas this season? Now, I'm not saying don't buy Christmas gifts for the important people in your life. All the kids and teenagers just sighed in relief there. But here's what I'm saying. Would you be willing to choose to thoughtfully evaluate what you spend? In recent years, our culture spends an average of $450 billion on Christmas. Uh, chances are likely that this year there will be an increase because in a consumeristic culture, we're always trying to figure out how to get more and more and more. But how often do we stop long enough and ask ourselves, why? Why do we spend so much? That's a really good question. Why do we do this? Maybe we're looking for happiness. We think we will really be happy if we get everything we want or we're able to get others what they want. Or, or maybe we're just trying to impress people. We somehow find a sense of identity in our purchases. We might be looking for some kind of recognition there. Or maybe we feel pressure to prove how much we love someone through our gift giving. Anything less than extravagance feels like it falls short. In the book, The Advent Conspiracy, there's this chapter called Watch Out for the Idolatry Around the Manger. And they say this, the fastest growing religion in the world is not Islam or Christianity. The symbol of this rising faith is not the star or the crescent or the cross, but a dollar sign. This expanding belief system is radical consumerism. It promises transcendence, power, pleasure, and fulfillment, even as it demands complete devotion. But these are empty promises. The book goes on to say, besides making false promises, this mindset of overconsumption detaches us from the human cost of the products we buy. Imagine picking out a shirt and hanging right alongside of the tag was a picture of the Guatemalan woman who earned 33 cents an hour sewing that shirt for you. But we have to detach ourselves from that reality. The religion of consumerism demands a sacrifice and often the price is high. This religion is fueled by what we read on websites and see on TV. And before we know it, we've traded Christmas for consumption. But when that happens, it can be easy to miss the real meaning of Christmas. The story of Jesus becomes not the heart of the season, but more like the opening act before the main attraction. How sad. We forget that this baby in the manger grew up and said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. And no matter how many times we hear this caution, many of us still seem eager to give it a try every December. Deep down, we're tricked into believing that fulfillment can be found in what money can buy. Jim Carrey, who ironically played the Grinch, famously said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Do you hear what he's saying? Every time we try to meet our desire for fulfillment in consumption and consumerism, our dissatisfaction is guaranteed. Yet the story of Christmas tells me that hope, peace, joy, and love are not found in the American dream, but in an infant king lying in a manger, born in poverty to two nobodies who couldn't even find a hotel. They didn't miss Christmas, though, and we don't have to either. 
That's why I want to give us permission today, permission to be countercultural, permission to spend less so we don't get caught up in things that cause us to miss Christmas. Maybe you're sitting in the audience thinking, okay, Pastor Dave, sounds like a good idea, but how do I really put something like this into practice? Let me encourage you with a few ideas throughout the message that might help us buck the cultural norms. For example, first, we can choose to spend wisely. The truth is many of us spend way beyond our means. What can help us avoid that pitfall? Set a budget. Now, I know I just said the B word. The B word can feel like a bad word and ruin all the fun this time of year, but it doesn't have to be that way. A budget helps us take charge of our decisions about consumerism and consumption instead of letting our culture make those decisions for us. Setting a budget doesn't mean we can't eat out or throw a party or buy gifts, but a budget will help us make wise decisions about how much money will go towards those things. A budget helps us to be in charge of the money, telling it where it can go. You don't have to feel guilty about spending if you've planned it out wisely, and you'll feel better about your finances afterwards. If you really stick to it, you'll have a debt-free celebration at Christmas, and believe me, the relief you will feel in January will be well worth it. So decide ahead of time how much money is reasonable for you, and stick to it. Choose to spend wisely. Author and speaker Dave Ramsey says this, we spend money we don't have to get things we don't need to impress people we don't like. That's not wise. That's foolish. Let me take a moment just to press in on that opportunity coming up next January, a class called Financial Peace University. It's a weekly class that can help you order your finances in a godly way. My wife and I took this course a number of years ago. It's been absolutely transformative for us. And one of the things Dave Ramsey will say in there is you have to live counterculturally. You have to live like no one else. And part of the reason is so that you can give like no one else. And so that's a great class. You can sign up online. Maybe that will be a good Christmas gift for a husband or wife, and that will be awesome. More details about that are in your bulletin. The point is, if we're not gonna miss Christmas, we've gotta learn to live in a countercultural way that's what those in the original story learned to do. Now, let me go back to that Matthew text and see what else the angel has to say to Joseph. So far, he's told him to take Mary as his wife because the baby was born because of a conception from the Holy Spirit. Then the angel continues to give Joseph some more details. It says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, you may or may not realize that the name Jesus is the same name as the Old Testament hero, Joshua, or Yeshua. His name means the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Joshua was a great military and political leader and savior for the people back then. This is what many people in that culture expected the Messiah to be, a political savior, a military leader. He would come and he would throw off the shackles of Roman oppression, he would set them free again. But notice, right here, right from the very beginning, the angel says, no, this Jesus won't be a political savior. No, this Jesus will save his people from their sins. He will be a different kind of savior. He will not save us from Rome. He will save us from our real enemy, sin. Let me try to illustrate. Our kids have all needed to have braces. And so they all needed to wear retainers afterwards. A few years ago, one of our daughters came home from school and said, hey, Dad, I think I accidentally threw out my retainer during lunchtime at school. I put it in my brown lunch bag. I forgot it was in there. And then I just tossed it with the rest of my trash. Now, retainers are expensive. They're not a, you know, that's not a small loss. 
I had a feeling I knew where her retainer would be. After lunch at Warren Middle School, they would throw out the trash in the dumpsters out back. So I said, sweetheart, get in the car. <laughs> Times are tight, we're going for a drive. And I wasn't gonna do all the dirty work either. We both fished through bags and bags and bags looking for her little brown lunch sack. Now that was not easy to find in that dumpster. But sure enough, after about 30 or 40 minutes, we find this crumpled up brown bag like a needle in a haystack with that precious treasure inside of it. Perfectly fine, granted it did need to be heavily sterilized afterward, but otherwise it was good to go. We went on a mission to save something of great value that had been tossed in the trash. Now the reason I tell that story, which is kind of gross and a little embarrassing for me to admit, is this, as I meditate on Christmas, I think about our dumpster diving God. I mean no disrespect by calling him that. On the contrary, I have a soaring adoration for an infinite God who would leave a pristine, sinless heaven to search through the rubbish of this fallen world for something precious to him, you and me. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. God rest ye, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ, your Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. This is what the angel is saying. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what do we learn about God here? I was always told growing up, actions speak louder than words. Were you ever told that little lecture by your parents all the time? Actions speak louder than words. Okay, if that's true, and it is, what do we learn about God through his actions here. This is amazing. It means we serve a God who by his actions shows us he is humble. Our God is humble. Now, I have a question. If humility really is an attribute of God, and I believe it is, why does this theme not receive more attention? To this, one of my professors at DTS said, I suspect that the humility of God is difficult to accept because of the implications that such a doctrine would have for us. Do you catch that? If I believe that God is humble, the obvious implication is that I ought to be humble too. If I believe I have a God who gives up his rights, that implies that I should give up my rights too. If I serve a God who looks out for the interests of others more than his own interests, then the natural implication is that I also ought to look out for the interests of others before my own interests. Our God is humble, and we're made to reflect him. God gets very enthusiastic about anyone who would humble themselves and pour themselves out for others. I'm emphasizing this because a lot of Christians, a lot of non-Christians think that we Christians have this attitude that we're better than everyone else. We're holier than them. If you read the scriptures and you're true to the Bible, nothing is further from the truth. In fact, it's just the opposite. A Christian is someone who admits they need a savior. 
Listen to this poem written by Carol Wimmer that speaks to this corrective. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's grace somehow. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Which means despite of what they thought, despite what they thought they wanted, God gave them what they needed. And despite what you think you may want, God came to give you what you really need, a savior. I was talking to a dad who told me a couple Christmases ago, one of his kids didn't get everything they wanted for Christmas, and he kind of looked at his parents incredulously and said, is that it? And the dad's talking to me going, you know, Dave, I thought to myself, really? Is that the attitude I want to pass on to my kids at Christmas time? Do I want them to view this season as primarily about getting everything they want? Is that even good for my children to give them everything they want? So he and his wife began to include their kids in spending more purposely during the Christmas season to meet the needs of others at Christmas, to decide in their family, Christmas isn't going to be all about our consumption. It's about including purposeful acts of compassion to help others. And I think that's a good principle for us to apply in our lives too. If we're going to not miss Christmas and we're going to live counterculturally, then we need to choose compassion over consumerism. Consumerism is all about me, 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 and more, more, more. Compassion is all about loving others and what can I do to help and serve. Maybe you could think of a way to bring compassion to your Christmas celebration this year. Compassionate spending might mean cutting back, but what if we lived more simply so that others can simply live? Compassionate spending can mean balancing my wants and needs with the needs of others in our community and in our world. Maybe you and your family could take time to volunteer this month, maybe at our Cookies for a Cause event or maybe one of our partner ministries like Market Street Mission or the Relief Bus or Feeding Hands. Choose compassion over consumerism. Let me go back to that text in Matthew where the angel continues to say something even more incredible. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Theologians call this the doctrine of the incarnation, which means God in the flesh. God taking on human flesh to reveal himself in a clearer way. You see, if God wanted to communicate with dogs, perhaps he would have become a dog. If he wanted to communicate with birds, maybe he would have become a bird. But he wanted to communicate with you and me, so he became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. Andy Stanley says, unlike all the other religious leaders, Jesus didn't claim to simply have the best explanation of God. He claimed to be the best explanation of God. John chapter 1 says it well. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the word tabernacle. Now, I am indebted to N.T. Wright for pointing out how connected to the Jewish temple this text is. The center of the Jewish world was their temple. It was not just a religious building. 
It was the place where heaven and earth came together. And from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Bible is that God wanted to dwell with humans. We tend to think the goal is humans going to live with God. Actually, the direction in the text is the other way. The temple in the Jewish mind was the sign and symbol of God being with us. See, the last week of Jesus' life, he pronounced God's judgment on Jerusalem's temple. Then he took his closest followers to an upper room and told them about his abiding presence that would never leave them. And then he goes to his death and the veil in the temple is torn in two. Jesus is the embodiment of God coming to dwell on earth with his people. Uh, John goes on to say a few verses later, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Look at what it says. It says, the law was given. You can give from a distance. Uh, maybe you get a gift from someone who lives across the country, right? You can give from far away. But here, we learn that God didn't just simply give from a distance. He came. See, what's even better is if your loved one comes in person, right? That's what Christmas is. God didn't just give me a gift from afar. He came up close and personal. God with us. And so as we think about Christmas and how to live counterculturally, I can't help but to mention this point. Choose to give your presence, not just your presence. Choose to give relationally. Choose to give incarnationally. Do you ever feel the pressure, especially if you're a parent with several kids, to make sure you have the same exact amount of gifts for each kid and you've spent equal amounts of money on each person? That can be difficult to achieve, especially as the kids get older and they want more expensive stuff, meaning one gift for my oldest is like equivalent to four gifts for my youngest. Someone shared with me how he and his wife found themselves trying to round out uh, the number of presents by buying smaller stuff, which only made their budget go up because those little gifts can be sneaky. They, they end up costing a lot. So here's what his wife and he, he decided. They said, okay, each of our kids is going to get three things. Number one, one thing they need, like a sweater or something. Number two, one thing they want, like that cool new Lego set. And then third, one thing they can experience with us together relationally, like tickets to a show or like a family membership to the Museum of Science or something like that. It's simple, but they found it's fun to buy less presents, but make them more meaningful for each person and their family uh, to be more intentional about being relational. Let me just share one idea that's worked so well for our family over the years. Uh, one of our family traditions is every Christmas morning be before the presents, we all write each other letters and we put them in our stockings the night before. And then on Christmas morning, after we read the story in Luke chapter 2, we take time probably about an hour or so, to open up each letter and read it out loud to one another. It's a chance once a year to affirm each other and share our love for one another and make sure we're intentional about doing relational gifting. It's an opportunity to kind of connect heart to heart. It's been fun to see the progression of our kids' letters over the years. You know, back when they were, you know, there's crayons and stick figures and stuff like that. Now we get these, like, well-crafted masterpieces. It's, pre it's pretty amazing. Maybe you want to steal that tradition. It's, it does work well for us. Or maybe you can come up with your own tradition to make sure it's a, an incarnational way of doing Christmas as well that reflects the heart of our God, Emmanuel, God with us. I just want to give you permission today, just permission to think about how can you do Christmas a little bit counterculturally.
How can I give you permission to spend a little bit more wisely? How, how, how can we spend a little bit more creatively and purposefully and compassionately? How can we spend less this Christmas? As the worship team comes forward, I want to wrap up by reading the conclusion of a favorite Christmas classic. It's about someone who realized that even spending less would help him not to miss Christmas. Listen to these words that are probably familiar to you. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? And Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that we think back to our need 2,000 years ago. You didn't give from a distance. Instead, you sent your one and only son to be Emmanuel, God with us. On the second week of Advent, we know there's still time that we can conspire together to approach Christmas differently. So would you help us this year? Help us not to miss Christmas. Let's, let's not let anything distract us from the wonder of God with us, God beside us, God becoming one of us. Because the heart of what we're searching for, the love, the joy, the peace, the hope, is only found in you our Savior who was born. Help us to remember it's all about you. Help us to come and worship and sing, O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Can I invite you to stand as we worship together?